My, my, my. A strange, strange weekend has come to a conclusion, and we still don't know the entire ALCS yet. The Yankees got knocked down and picked themselves up again. Where is this, Chumbawamba? No. This is the Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to the Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it is your team every day. This is the podcast we do. Well, I bring on this guy right over here. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sull, but you can call me Sully. And once a week, this guy comes aboard. His name is Miller Thomas. And you are the host of Lockdown Diamondbacks. Look at that. We've been doing this so long, we can complete each other's sentences. You can follow this show at Lockdown MLB Pods on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. My personal handle there is Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Where can people follow you? Follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Look up the Lockdown Diamondbacks show account, Twitter, Instagram. We're, of course, on all your podcasting handles, and we're on YouTube as well. Lockdown Diamondbacks there. Go hit subscribe on there as well. All righty. Well, look at the Yankee Guardian game ended, what, 15 minutes ago? And we're hitting this as uh, I am wearing the uniform or the one-time uniform of the American League team that is – sitting at home but hey give the Mariners credit uh while it's been a while you know if they knew they're going to lose the ALS the AL division series to Houston they still came back and played 18 innings of baseball in Seattle so they gave them the two games uh they just didn't score a single run in 18 innings I don't care who you are uh that game was the Incredibly exciting, incredibly thrilling. Um, some people would probably look at it as an advertisement for the Manfred man on second base <laughs> um, to get a run scored in there. Um, you know, give both teams credit. They they both pitched and played defense and did everything on the line. What is it with Houston and these huge, long playoff games? The 16-inning game in 1986, all the extra inning games against Philadelphia in 1980, a big, long, extra inning game against the Chicago White Sox in the uh, uh, 2005 World Series. This is the second 18-inning game in Astros Division Series history. This is tied for their longest extra inning game they've played in the Division Series because they played 18 innings in 2005 against the Atlanta Braves. What is it about Houston, these extra inning games? But, hey, give them credit. Give the Astros credit, especially because they were basically one swing away from losing game one, and they were constantly one pitch away from losing game three. And they pulled it off and they won it. And, and, it, helps waiting. You, and it helps when you have like a six-man rotation to go 18 innings too. Well, we'll get, to the, we'll get also to the fact that the Astros' pitching depth was in many ways their greatest asset and something that haunted the team that I thought was going to go on to win the World Series. But – Let's talk a little bit about the game that just ended. Yankee fans can complain and will complain about a lot of things that happened over this first few games 
uh, between them and the uh, Cleveland Guardians. But one thing they cannot complain about is Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole showed up to pitch in game one, and at one point it looked like the Guardians had him on the ropes in game one. He wiggled out of it. He got the victory. And today, after everything that happened and a somewhat depleted bullpen, uh, you know, exhausted bullpen after what happened in game three, you give Garrett Cole credit. He gave them seven strong innings, letting up just two runs, striking out eight. Uh, he did let up the home run to Naylor. He did let up another run. Uh, there was a couple of base running blunders by Cleveland, but Cole gave them exactly what they needed. Seven innings, the two runs. Holmes pitched the uh, the eighth. Wandy Peralta got the save in the ninth. And pretty much you can count on everybody on the Yankee pitching staff in game five. Uh, Cleveland, once again, did not have to use Class A or some of their other top relievers. So they'll all be rested and ready to go tomorrow. But tell me your thoughts about the Yankees. Give them credit. They dusted themselves off and they got off the mat and they they did what they had to do. Yeah, we're going to talk about it all on this podcast, but it's been a weekend of upset. So if you're a Yankees fan, you're probably feeling a little nervous before this game after seeing how the National League unfolded this past weekend. And for a Yankees fan, like you, you see Garrett Cole, you're paying him this fat contract, and this is the moment. This is the game where he has to step up. Max Scherzer wasn't able to do it for the New York Mets, if you want to compare and contrast that dichotomy. And Garrett Cole in this game with everything we've seen that happened this past weekend with the National League, he stepped up in a big win, in a big way, because the Yankees team, I mean, the last two games have been like very exasperating losses for this team. You have that comeback ninth inning. Um, by the Cleveland Guardians in game three. Game two, you lose an extra innings to the Guardians. Like, it's been a tough back-to-back -to -back losses for the Yankees. And so you're kind of worried whether this team could rally or not. Aaron Judge and Gian Carlos Stan haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire in the postseason. So it, there was a lot of question marks going into this game, and the Yankees were able to bounce back. Garrett Cole was able to do it, and the Yankees got just enough offense, jumped on Cleveland early, and was able to ride that throughout the whole game. Yeah, and... You have uh, game five, which is on Monday afternoon, Monday evening on the East Coast, Shivali against Tyone. I mean, I'm sorry, that's a complete that's a complete coin toss. Yeah. That's a complete, complete coin toss. I mean, Tyone sometimes looked terrific. And if he pitches well, then the Yankees could very well indeed win this. Uh, if it turns into a battle of the bullpen, and we have seen that Terry Francona is willing to throw the book away when it comes to bullpen use in the postseason, um, it would not surprise me if he reaches down and use, you know, Henches and, and Morgan and Classe each for a couple of innings. In fact, I want to make this point. Uh, going into this game, you know, we obviously heard everything that happened where they didn't use Holmes in yesterday's game. They threw poor Clark Schmidt out there to try to close the game out. Holmes didn't know he was not going to be used. The rest of the team, Severino, didn't know he was, they were not going to use him. And it turned into a lot of the, well, you know, we can't have him pitch in X number of rounds, only use him in an emergency. Meanwhile, Francona has a history of saying, F that. Mm -hmm. We need them now. Classe pitched two and a third innings in game two because he knew this team couldn't afford to fall behind 0-2 uh, going back to Cleveland. So he threw that into the dumpster. You saw he did the same thing when he would use Andrew Miller in strange situations in the 2016 postseason. The way that he brought Keith Folk in in the seventh inning 
in a potential elimination game. Same with Papelbon in a potential elimination game when he's the manager of the Red Sox. All of the, we use them on this, we don't use them back-to-back and everything like that, uh, you have to throw, that's great in the regular season when you're trying not to burn your bullpen. You kind of have to throw that into the dumpster in the postseason and have to put yourself in a position where you're, if you're going to die, you're going to die with your best person on the mound. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Usually as a fan, I want to go down with my best player swing, whether it's basketball, football. I want my best players to be involved. And Tito's all about that. He's not leaving up anything for chance for the margins. He's letting his best players just ride it out throughout the whole game. And for this Yankees team, I mean, it's going to be a pretty big game five for them because it's going to be a lot of question marks like all these top teams have lost in this postseason. Like if the Yankees team loses in game five like going to the offseason i don't know what kind of shakeup they're gonna do maybe a aaron boone gets fired what happens to aaron judge like there's a lot of big implications if this yankees team is not able to make it out the divisional series and is not able to win you know one playoff series this whole run so i'm very curious to see what's going to happen in game five i think we're going to see um maybe like a, a reverse bullpen kind of game like you talked about where the starters you would love if they could go six innings but realistically if you could get three good innings out of both your starters and then i think this is going to be a full bullpen game by both teams and it's going to be whichever bullpen wins and so we'll see what happens in that scenario like you say cleveland rested up their guys so i think they probably got a little bit of advantage tomorrow but where's the game being played it's going to be back in new york right back in new york it would not surprise me yeah. shane bieber comes out of the bullpen either yeah um you know, and, and you saw in that game three that if Boone knew that they weren't going to use Holmes, then why did they only get one out out of Trevino? Why did they pull Loisica after only 20-something pitches? You would think if he knew that he was going to be shorthanded in the bullpen, he would try to squeeze some extra outs out of those guys. But that's the beauty of baseball is that game's already in the rearview mirror. And you talk about all these things that could happen to the Yankees if – they get eliminated this round. Well, guess what? They're playing this afternoon or they're playing Monday afternoon. And if they win and it's a complete coin toss game, I mean, I mean, there's absolutely no way you can lean one way or the other. And, you know, Shivali is okay. Tyone is okay. Both bullpens are rested. Both offenses are, are complete opposites. One is a slug amount, hit home runs. The other is, you know, grind it out, grind it out, blue pit, blue pit, blue pit. Um, none of us, neither one of us know what's going to happen. If they advance and they go to the ALCS against Houston, well, then they're in a position where you'll, you'd have to praise Boone. You'd have to praise the Yankees for dusting themselves off and getting themselves in this position. Yeah, but if I'm going into a do-or-die game and I'm looking at the players, I'm saying everything's equal going into this game, and now I have to rely on my managers to make the best decisions within the game, which one's going to be more tactical. I'm putting my life on the line with Terry Francona every time over Aaron Boone to make those right decisions, to make the right calls, and put my team in a better situation. So if we're saying the players and those situations are going to be equal, it might come down to the managerial experience here, and I think it's Terry Francona by a mile. So what you're telling me, is if you have to make a bet on one of those two teams, you would put your bet on Cleveland. And if you're going to make any bets, go to betonline.net. It's your number one source for football betting this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information. 
with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball playoffs, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online. It's where the game starts. All right, let's just, just stop and think about this. I talked about this on Sundays. I posted a show on Sunday because I had to address what was happening. I don't know what's going to happen in the American League. Cleveland could win. And so far, my predictions in the American League have been accurate. I said Seattle was going to beat Toronto. I thought Cleveland was going to beat Tampa. And I thought Houston was going to beat Seattle. And I picked Cleveland over New York. Uh, and that could very well happen. So far, I'm pretty accurate on what I said in the uh, in the American League. The mm. National League, I thought St. Louis was going to beat Philadelphia. I said the Mets were going to beat the um, Padres. And I said we're going to have an NLCS between Los Angeles and Atlanta. So I have been 100% wrong across the board in the National League. And we now know that the 2022 World Series will feature either the Philadelphia Phillies or the San Diego Padres. Two sub-90 win teams, two very flawed teams, one of whom finished one game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers for the third wildcard spot. And here we are. And the nice thing about it is that they're both underdogs, uh, and that they're both, I guess, feel-good stories. But uh, what is your take on the fact that the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves, I mean, the Braves got thumped. Yeah. They got thumped. They lost one of the games 9-1, to one, and they got clobbered in the final game. Now, Los Angeles didn't get clobbered, but they they the goose showed up. They lost. Mm-hmm. They, the Padres rallied to win game two. The Dodgers' offense was MIA for game three, and then the bullpen fell apart big time in the clincher at Petco on uh, Saturday evening. What is your What is your thoughts on what, I mean, has to be the most shocking San Diego against L.A.? That has to be the most shocking of the upsets that have happened so far this this October. Yeah, if I took a shot for every NL series I predicted correctly, I would be a sober man, Sully, because it's been upsets galore and it's been very unpredictable. Because let's start with that Dodgers series, because let's be honest, the Dodgers choked down this series. They yes. won the first game. When you look at this whole entire season by the Dodgers, statistically, this was one of the greatest regular season teams we've ever saw. Ever. Set the franchise record in wins. They had like the fourth best like run differential of all time. Like This was the team that was number one in run scored and number one in team ERA in the entire Major League Baseball. And so for this Dodgers team to go out there and win game one against the Padres, I was out there tweeting on Twitter, it's going to be another big brother versus little brother other series with the Dodgers taking down the Padres and what did the Padres do the next three games they just absolutely controlled the series 
once again, Clayton Kershaw in game two, I mean, he wasn't shut down Clayton Kershaw like he normally is in the postseason. Like he didn't step up in the way you needed him to. Game three, um, the, the Padres were able to win that and able to win game four. I don't remember exactly what happened. I'll have to look at my notes. But the Padres. Well, they, 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 they rallied in the, they had a, they had a five run, five or six run rally in the seventh inning. Yes, I just took a look at my notes. You had Blake Snell absolutely work the Dodgers in game three because Blake Snell, he's a guy who I didn't trust, but he was going to be a huge X factor in this series because in non-career starts against the Dodgers, entering that game three, he had a 2.5 ERA. We know what he did against the Dodgers in the World Series against 2020. So Blake Snell is someone that has had a great track record against the Dodgers. He showed up in a big way. And then, of course, Joe Musgrove. Uh, Joe Musgrove has been a huge big game pitcher for the Padres this series. He came through in game four. And like you said, the Padres had that insane rally started by the bottom of the order because Trent Grisham has been quietly uh, a superstar for the Padres during this postseason because guys like uh, guys like Juan Soto, excuse me, I almost said Manny Machado. Guys like Juan Soto have been pretty quiet, but the Jay Cronenworths of the world, the 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 Jackson Profars, the Trent Grishams has been the 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 other pieces, the complementary pieces for the Padres offense that were able to come through in this series. And it's been really crazy to see guys like Mookie Betts weren't really able to be found. They were on a milk car in this series. So Mookie Betts is still made man, but the Dodgers really choked down this series after the incredible year that they had. And then moving to the Braves versus Philly series, like the Braves, I felt like I felt like the Phillies stole that game one and it set the tone for the whole series because Max Freed, he's their best postseason pitcher. He's their number one starter, and he kind of fumbled the bag in game one. And the Phillies were just able to dump them, scored at least seven runs in three of the four games. I felt like the Braves were just mentally stumped by that game. Four defensive miscues in the outfield, allowed inside the park home runs. Everything was just disgusting in that game four for the Braves. You had Ronald Acuna making mistakes. He was like 0 for 4 or 3 strikeouts. I was surprised. Surprised by both of these results, more by the Dodgers one because they were so dominant this regular season. But let's not forget this Braves team, like we've talked about, where it was probably what the best team in Major League Baseball the last two thirds of the season. So these were two giants that just lost to teams that had what like 15 less wins than the, the, that they had. So just craziness what we've seen in this MLB playoff so far. And it's going to be exciting to see two underdogs in. The Padres and Phillies, who kind of have like cursed franchises historically. The Padres have been kind of weird, only been to the playoffs like four times the last 24 years. The The Phillies have the longest NL playoff drought, you know, the last 12 years. They haven't made it 11 years, something like that. So it's crazy to see that these two teams are now meeting in the championship series after being sub 90 and going through the, the last 20 years that they've had. You know, it's funny, like... um, uh, going into the when we were approaching down the stretch in the postseason, it looked like the Mets were going to win the division. Uh, I was saying the Mets should be the favorite. And the main reason that I had the Mets over Los Angeles in my thoughts for the playoff predictions was the fact that as great as the Dodgers regular season was, and it was great, there's no getting around that. The fact that Walker Bueller was hurt. And Tony Gonsolin basically didn't pitch for a month and a half heading into the postseason. He only pitched a handful of innings. Um, I thought that suddenly that made their starting pitching depth remarkably thinner and than some of the other teams. They still had Tyler Anderson, who was good. They still had Urias, who was good. Uh, they had Kershaw, who had a fine season, not a you know not Cy Young Kershaw, but he's 34. He's you know, he's in the back nine of his career, but 
I thought it was a lot of banking on the Mitch Whites and the Andrew Heaney's and, you know, that there was I, – I didn't look at this team as having the pitching depth they needed. They also didn't have a reliable closer since Kimbrell, I believe, was left off of the playoff roster. Yeah. And there was a lot of coin tosses in the bullpen. And, you know, I thought, okay, once once New York was eliminated, I really thought it was, okay, well, it's a clear path. And when you consider the fact that the Dodgers beat the Padres 14 out of 19 times in the yeah. regular season. Think That's about sad. that. In the regular season – the Dodgers lost five games to the Padres. In the postseason, they almost tied that number with three. I mean, this looked like such a uh, – it looked like such a mismatch going into it. I think I predicted a sweep. You, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you did. And really, we just touched on with the Dodgers' bullpen – it was kind of a weakness and a flaw that we really didn't discuss maybe too much when evaluating this Dodgers team. And then on the other side, this Padres bullpen was straight up nasty in this Dodgers series. Like they were barely allowing any men on the bases. Josh Hader, three saves, was able to close out every time he came into the ballgame. And he was a huge question mark throughout the regular season after being acquired because he had his ups and downs, as we know. So the fact that Josh Hader was able to get back into form and look like that dominant closer that we saw back in Milwaukee, that is a huge sign for this Padres team. And it could be a huge reason as to why they're not only in the championship series and to see how far they can go if they can you know, make it past the Phillies or not. And obviously they have Darvish and they have mm -hmm. Musgrove pitching in there. But let's not take a look away from the third-place Phillies. I'm sorry, I'm calling them that. Uh, the third-place Phillies, who obviously have an offense that's clicking on all cylinders, but they also have Wheeler and Nola, who are both pitching very, very well. And, you know, the top of their rotation is, is airtight right now. And so... You know, I mean, they're, they're three or four in their rotation, maybe a little bit of a coin toss. But you're looking at two teams that on paper look flawed in the Padres and the Phillies. And, I mean, this is an impossible one to pick because they both have decent pitching. They both came off mind-boggling upsets against a division rival in the uh, division series. And they both are filled with... They have superstars who were acquired in big free agent contracts who are looking at this as being their big sort of explosion to the post. I mean, either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado are going to be in the World Series this year. The big, huge, honking free agent signings of 2019, the two players that were left dangling on the vine until spring training started, one of them is going to be playing in the World Series in 2022. And ergo, in so many ways, justify that big, massive contract. Because when you think about both of those teams, San Diego and Philadelphia, when they made those free agent signings just prior to the beginning of the 2019 season, that was a, a, a shot to the fans to say, we know we haven't been in the World Series forever. We know we've given you a rotten decade of baseball. We're bringing in a superstar in their prime, and we're buying out the rest of their prime to play in your home field. And one of them is going to follow through in their promise of delivering either the freaking Phillies or Padres to the World Series this year. And whatever happens to the rest of the contract, they could say, hey, look it, 
we were one of those afterthought franchises and we got a world series appearance out of this contract. I mean, that's just a huge moment for those two players, not to mention the, you know, the JT Rio Mutos and the Zach Wheelers or the, you know, the, the Juan Soto, all the big deals that, that uh, San Diego made that will suddenly make their trade down. Remember, everyone was crapping on their trade down. Like, oh, they made all the big splashes, but look at that. They they fell out of the race, and they had to scramble for a wildcard spot. Well, they're four wins away from the World Series right now. Yay for free agency and spending money and being aggressive because small market teams are just cheap owners. They want to have all the reasons and all the excuses. Look at that team. They paid all that money for that player, and look at where they are. They're not even in the postseason. Well, Screw all that because you look at this Padres team, you look at these Phillies team, they spent so much money the last few offseasons. AJ Perl has been one of the most aggressive GMs in baseball, and he's been to, you know retooling and titling this roster for a while now. And now they're here in this championship series. The Phillies kind of did it in one year, well, maybe not one year because they've done it over the last couple offseasons with the Bryce Harper signings, like you mentioned, Nick Cassiano signing a big mm-hmm. bat like him as well. So these Kyle two, teams, yeah. Yeah, and I was also thinking about this. Um, like if this Phillies team gets to the World Series, I know we all love Theo Epstein, uh, Theo Epstein as the main guy to build. You know, if I had to take a roster from scratch and you know end a curse of a franchise, which GM, which executive do I want building out my roster? Dave Theo Epstein, Dombrowski, yeah, Dave Dombrowski might be the new. You know, he might be right there with Theo Epstein. He might be on the Mount Rushmore, guys. I don't know where he lands, but when you've seen what he's done with the Red Sox and the Marlins and the Tigers and this team and that team, like. How many World Series, how many great rosters has this guy put together? So he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore or something. But for this Phillies team right now, they kind of remind me of last year's Red Sox team who got hot via the offense, starting Mm -hmm. pitching. You kind of relied on two frontline starters with a very iffy bullpen because this Phillies team, you look at that game four, Noah Syndergaard only pitched like three innings and then they kind of went the bullpen route and the bullpen was like okay in that game like the bullpen was like all right in the series they were good just enough but it was really the Phillies offense I was able to just you know you didn't need a bullpen if you're going to put up almost seven runs or more every game so I wonder if this Phillies offense is going to take a step back what they do if they cool off because I don't know if they have the bullpen to hold off the Padres bats if this Phillies team is not putting up at least, you know, four to five runs a game, I don't know if they have the bullpen arms to hold off a Padres offense. So that's what I'm really looking for. Can this Phillies offense continue to extend this hot streak that they're on? Because if they take a step back, can their pitching hold it up? Because I love their two starters, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, but I don't know how I feel about the rest of the bullpen. All right. Let's you and I address the elephant in the room. And no, it is not Stomper, the mascot of the A's. Okay. We have three 100-win teams in the National League, and none of them got to the National League Championship Series. We have two teams that finished the year sub-90 wins, and one of them kind of stumbled and bumbled their way into the postseason. And one of them is going to the World Series. There has been more than a little bit of grumbling about the fact that the current version of the boat, the Major League Baseball postseason is taking away any accomplishments in the regular season and basically putting yourself in a situation where you almost want to get into the wild card round and play those extra games so you stay fresh and don't look uh, tired and haggard. This is not me. This is, I'm, I'm hearing this. 
you know, that this is all of a sudden, well, what's the point of the regular season if you win 111 games and get derailed in four days and, and go home and play golf? Well, clearly inferior teams over 162 games are going to be playing for a chance to win it all. Um, I want to know your thoughts on whether or not the layoff is causing some of these great upsets or if this is just sour grapes. Well, I do love for anyone that's pro shortening the season. I do love all these hundred win teams losing because I- I've heard Tim Kirchner say so many times, you need 162 games. It perfectly defines the season and the, it, you know, takes out all the extra variables. And then you get to the postseason. It's like all these hundred plus win teams are not here no more. Why did we play 162 games? Could I not got these results with 150, 140, 120 games? So that's another rant for another day. But on the rust versus rest debate, I don't know. I kind of like being the wild card team going up against that number one seed because, like, when I go back to that Phillies versus Brave series, you steal that game one, you take out the number one starter for the other team. And now, guess what? Game two and game three, I got my number one and my number two starter going in that game two and game three. And now I could be up one nothing with my two best starters yet to pitch. I just kind of like that as an idea. Yes, the extra rest is always necessary. And most times helpful, but you know, there could be a little rust baked in between because you look at that Yankee series, like they just kind of cut kind of screwed over by rain. Like, of course it's not over yet, but like the Yankees, they waited two weeks, they play one game. And then, you know, the MLB schedule did that weird thing where the American league, the next day had the off day. And then the next time the Yankees were supposed to play, then they were rained out. So they had to miss like, so they basically played like one game, like two weeks was like really weird for them. So you could have maybe played a little rust into their debate. But I think overall, I kind of want to be the wild card series trying to steal that game one, because if I'm able to do that, then I could be like Cleveland where I get my Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie in game two and game three. I kind of just like that setup for the wild card team. I mean, my biggest, and I mentioned this the other day, my biggest argument against that, I kept hearing a lot of people talking about that. The home team won three out of the first four. So when we're talking about rest versus rust, well, um, Houston, New York, and Los Angeles all won game one. So there you go. I mean, yes, Houston was one swing away from losing game one. Uh, They were also... You know, if they once we were for losing game one and then one run scored by the Mariners in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, or 17th away from losing game two, but they won those games. And you know what? If New York wins tomorrow and they could very well win tomorrow, then guess what? Then half of the teams with home field advantage would have won. I mean, it's it, and and I'm sorry, there comes a point. I mean, look at. I mean, Atlanta did look flat in that first game, but that was more due to the fact that Max Fried wet the bed. Julio Urias pitched fine, and they the Dodgers beat the Padres handily. Uh, you know, Garrett Cole had that one inning where the Cleveland looked like they had, they had him on the ropes, but he wiggled out of it and wound up pitching into the seventh, and New York won that game, and the Astros rallied. So, you know... I, the panic over rust versus rest to me is a little bit overrated. If all four home teams lost hell, if three out of four home teams lost, I would have, my ears would be up a little more, but three out of four won. Now I I just, I think that has more to do with the fact that there, you know, there is a bit of a coin toss that happens in the postseason, but the better teams won three of the first four games. So how much of an effect could it possibly have been? 
But do you think it's weird that it was only game one they were effective in? Because the Dodgers, their offense was great in that game one. Then the next three games wasn't quite there. The Braves, their offense was the best it was in that game one. Then the next three games wasn't there. The Astros, their biggest offensive outburst was in that game one. Then the next couple games wasn't quite there. Do you think there's any correlation to that, that they were able to rest? They were able to take that time off. They were all able to put it into that game one, but they weren't able to sustain that momentum because they weren't in that everyday grind and the mind set like those wild card teams i had to battle in those earlier rounds sully i don't know i think these are all narratives that are written in retrospect yeah, i think you've seen, you've seen tons of times in the history of baseball where there has been a team that that is winning big down the stretch and then they carry that winning into the um into the postseason say oh man that momentum carried them and then there are instances where the teams have had rest and then they go on and win and then you say, oh, they were resting. They, the other team was exhausted. I remember a team where the sing. by the way, we have had teams in the World Series who were uh, far worse than the teams that they played in the postseason. Back-to-back years, you had the 1987 Twins and the 1988 Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers beat the 100-some-odd win Mets and the 100-some-odd win A's. And they did so with an absolute cut-and-paste the worst lineup I've ever seen in the history of the World Series because they rode Oral Hershiser's you know arm all the way into the all the way through the postseason. You know, in '87, the Twins, the, who had a negative run differential, and really only two starting pitchers, but for reasons I still don't understand, had home field advantage in both the ALCS and World Series, and didn't lose a single game at home, and wound up winning the World Series. They lost all the road games in the world series and they, you know, they were, they, they were, I think they were six and oh at home and two and four on the road and they were crowned world series champs and they were a fun team. They were like a softball team, but you know, they, they played a Detroit team that had to battle right down to the very end. They clinched on the final day. Now, wouldn't that be a situation uh, that the narrative happened there was, Oh, Detroit was too was tired. They were, they were beat. They were, they were, you know, they just they it was such a, a brutal fight to get to the ALCS that they want to lose into Minnesota. Same thing with Atlanta and San Francisco were fighting all the way through the end in 1993 and they wound up losing to Philadelphia. And retroactively, we said, ah, Philadelphia was exhausted from the pennant race with San Francisco. Oh, but when the upset happens, it's like, oh, you see, you need to be playing right up until the end. So, I mean, these are all these are all retroactive narratives. Uh, yeah. And and I think that that's I, it's a little I'm I'm always been for cutting back the season because I think just ba- people casual baseball fans stop watching around Labor Day oh. and I wanted I would rather see a hundred and thirty game season maybe with fewer injuries and those home run records are secure and um, if someone gets sixty two home runs in one hundred and thirty games you tip your hat to them. Um, and then you play the bulk of the postseason in September when the weather is eerily similar to baseball weather. And then you have the final week, the final, uh, the World Series is played in the first week of October. So you still got to play in October. It still means something. But when it was 162 games, but only a very few number of teams got into the postseason, the randomness of the postseason seemed more justified because only the best four, you know, two, four, or, you know, six teams 
got into the playoffs. But now if they're going to have so many teams in and the randomness of it kicks in, then may it may seem less unfair if we have the sample size be shorter. People's interest drops around Labor Day anyway. So then at that moment, you say, hey, that's the end of the season, except for the postseason. And then people will continue watching their teams in the postseason. Those who don't want to watch football anyway. Yeah, because like watching the D-backs last year with 50 wins, by the time we got to the All-Star break, those last three months were meaningless. But something that's on the same vein spiritually that I want to talk about as well because it related to that Yankees versus Cleveland series when we're talking about the games being rained out. Why doesn't every stadium get a retractable roof like Chase Field where you could close the roof on days where it's raining or snowing and you don't have to worry about that? Because they're saying one of these games uh, with the Cleveland Yankees, we might have midges come back. I think it was supposed to be this game four. I don't think we saw any midges in Cleveland. No, but they weren't allowed who, in. Yeah, but who wants to deal with that? Who wants to deal with these extra elements and, and the rain and the coldness? Like, let's get a retractable roof. We can still get the panels like how we have at Chase Field, still get some natural sunlight. It's going to be a controlled environment, 72 72 degrees degrees there's going to be no you know slippery bats slippery balls like i want to perfectly execute a game i don't want there to be any other variables or reasons why my team might not perform or anything like that i don't want the weather to affect my sport i want to be played on a neutral field so please let's bring retractable roofs to every stadium in major league baseball i would i have no problem with that uh there's there are two conflicting things i want to end on this there is the argument that the interest in the regular season would dip if it's clear that, hey, you can win 111 games, it doesn't matter. But conversely, the fight to get that final wild card spot has now become even more coveted. Because you can point to the fact that instead of being like, like if you're fighting for the final uh, spot in the NBA playoffs, congratulations, you're going to get swept. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, let's face it, that's, I mean, with very few exceptions, the NBA is the hardest sport to see upsets in the first couple of rounds they may be upsets in the conference finals or in the finals but those first few rounds it's they're unwatchable because it's just it's just a massacre Mm -hmm. you know that it doesn't come the nba players don't get watchable until the second round that's really when things okay now it gets interesting because we've gotten rid of all those other things but in baseball if you say hey you try to get that third wild card spot you could wind up in the nlcs you know, there, there's instead of yeah, great, we made that, we got swept out of it. Who cares? Oh, wait a minute, look what Philadelphia did. And so, you know, to me, you know, yeah, it may stink if you're a Los Angeles fan or a Mets fan or uh, an Atlanta fan who saw your team have an amazing hundred some odd win regular season, only to get smacked in the face. But if you're a Philadelphia fan and you're floundering around and Girardi gets fired and everything. You can still say, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we get hot, we can get that other spot and roll the dice. And I'm all for that if that makes teams start spending money and being competitive. Yeah, because that's the weird thing about the MLB playoffs. It's a series like how it is in the NBA, but it's more unpredictable like how it is in football, where even though we're doing a five-game series, a seven-game series, it's anybody could win the series like how it is in football, where it's only one game and it's a coin flip. Even though we have the Dodgers and the Braves winning 100-plus games, those series are still coin flips because the Padres are still loaded with talent. The Phillies are still loaded with talent. And really, anything can happen in the MLB postseason. Your team just has to get hot. And we've seen that with the Phillies this year. We talked about 
about the Red Sox. I, at least I talked about the Red Sox earlier on this podcast about sometimes if your offense just gets hot, you could just mash your way to a series win. You don't really have to do much. Your pitching doesn't have to do much. If you're just going to put up seven runs a game for four straight games, you're probably going to win that series. So that's what we've seen from teams like this, uh, from this Phillies team, this Padres team. I think they're just doing it with guts and confidence right now. And they basically just took a, on a different mentality, which was crazy in this playoff postseason against the Dodgers team, because you would have felt like if you didn't know how these two teams faced against each other in the regular season, you would have thought the, the big brother was the Padres in the series with the way they took it back. So I love that these two teams are in the championship series because I think it's going to be a real fun time, Sully. And it's always a fun time when Miller Thomas stops by mm-hmm. Locked On MLB. Tell people where they can follow your show. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Follow Locked On Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. We're on YouTube, of course, Locked On Dimebacks on there. And, of course, we're on all your podcasting platforms. And you can find us at Locked On MLB Pods. Both Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sully Baseball there. And on Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast. Well, we got one more game in the division series, and we're going to figure out which one of the American League teams is going to fight for the right to take on a sub-90 win team in the World Series for the second straight year from the National League. This has been Locked On, MLB Locked On Dynamax crossover. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. That's Miller Thomas. Let's fist pump and call it a show. Hey, get in there. Get in there. Get in there. Get in there.